Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. We will begin there in just a moment. As you're turning there, I want to just again thank you all for being here. It's a beautiful day. Wonderful that we can come together and to worship our God and to encourage one another on this very special day, this Lord's Day, this first day of the week. I want to spend a little time this morning um, talking about something that a lot of times we shy away from as, as Christians. You know, we live in a, in a highly charged political environment right now where everything has uh, been politicized and, and we, we chuckle about it, and rightly so. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about some of the serious sides of it, and I want to just say this from the outset, that this is... This is not going to be a political speech and a political uh, lobby. It is, it is inappropriate for me to use this pulpit to do so. But I also want to say that we, we shouldn't shy away from political issues because they're all throughout Scripture. We see the, the, the way the children of Israel as a nation dealt with other nations and the things that, that happened within the, the, the nation of Israel in a political sense. When our Lord comes on the scene, is very much involved in the politics of the day. If you think about what all he had to deal with, with dealing with the Roman government. And then going forward, as the apostles went out to spread uh, the gospel, we see that they, came, they ran afoul of civil government. And we're going to look at some of those examples and, and learn from them. So let's not shy away from uh, civics, if you will, or political issues, because... Our Lord had to deal with it. The apostles had to deal with it. It's very much a part of, of their everyday life, and it's a part of our life. So what's important is for us to, to recognize uh, where the Christians should come, which could, should fall on some of these issues, and how we should stand for the truth no matter what. And if that runs afoul of government, then so be it. Now I want to speak... I titled the lesson, I Appeal to Caesar. This comes from Paul's uh, defense uh, as he is standing trial at the end of, near the end of his life. And we'll, we'll talk about the, exactly the, the cir circumstances. I won't talk too much about it, but just to say that Paul found himself in a predicament that the Jews had captured him and put him in, in jail, put him in bonds, and wanted to do the same thing they did to our Lord. They wanted to put him to death for the things that he was saying. And Paul found himself in a predicament. He knew he was not going to get a fair trial from the Jews. And so being a Roman citizen, Paul wanted to utilize his ability to, to access the Roman system of government. And he wanted to be tried as a Roman citizen. So this is why he makes this statement in Acts chapter 25. that says, I appeal to Caesar. And so we want to use that as a springboard to talk about a Christian's proper relationship towards civil government. Because I believe the scriptures tell us the way we should behave towards the government that we have. Let me also qualify this uh, sermon by saying this, is that while God's word at the time um, it was being dispensed in the New Testament, they were living under Roman rule, and ultimately that Roman rule was Caesar, and, and a very much a, um, 
monarchy kind of government, an authoritarian government in which the people lives as, as subjects to the king. They didn't have much say over what was being done. They just had to be subjects of the king. We don't live in that kind of government. We live in a government where we get to say so about the laws that govern our land. And so it's, a, it's different in that sense. The sentiment's still the same as, as what is written in Scripture. But let's also understand that we live in a, a different type of civil government now. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. But the relationship that a Christian should have towards his government is what we want to drill down to. So let's talk about some, some proper relationships. And let's talk about um, how we deal with one another. Let's start there. So if you're there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's read uh, a little bit here. What we're going to talk about, I want you to notice, is that what Paul will be writing is speaks to um, how Christians behave to one another in a spiritual sense, but also in a civil sense, how we deal with one another um, in, in our day-to-day -day dealings, so to speak. So 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that, that as you received instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. And that just, the, the, Paul is giving them a compliment here and telling them that they're, they're, they're doing right, but he wants them to excel still more. He wants them to keep going and to keep bettering themselves. Verse 2, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God is not called to us uh, for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So did you catch that in there? Don't transgress one another. Don't, first of all, keep yourself pure. And then don't transgress one another because God is the judge in all these things. So he's the one that's going to judge these things. So keep yourself pure and deal with your brother and sister in a correct way, in a proper way. Go with me now to Romans chapter 13. Similar uh, instructions here, or similar sentiment here, is how we deal with one another. And this really gets to the heart of the matter and what Paul writes here. Romans 13, beginning in verse 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So if we want to know how we ultimately deal with our brother, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what our Lord said, right? Paul says it here also. Love God first, love your neighbor as yourself. I love the simplicity of all that. We see the simplicity here. Owe nothing to no one except to love one another. This is how you fulfill the law. You love one another. You don't transgress your brother. You don't, 
treat them ill. You don't swindle them. You don't try to um, cheat them or anything like that or, or, or cross them. Just love them as yourself and you'll, and you'll take care of that side of things. So that's how we ought to behave towards one another. So then we, we start to expand out then. So it, we can understand the personal relationships we have with one another and how we treat one another. But then how do we function then as a society? How do I treat someone who I don't even know? How, do I, how am I able to get along with that person in, in, in the whole of society? Well, the Bible speaks to that as well. It tells us, if you look back up in chapter 13, beginning of verse 1 now, it says, Let every person be subject to the government authorities. Uh, let me read that again. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So if we want to understand how we are to, to function in the society that we're in, Let's understand that the society, the governments that have been set up are there as a matter of God's providence. That's what it says. That's what it says. Verse 2, Therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So, see how this works? If we break the law, then we're, we're breaking what God has set up, essentially. Now, these can be perverted and twisted, and we're going to talk about that as we go forward. But for the most part, on the whole, as we function, we are to subject ourselves to our civil leaders. Verse 3, for rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. That's at the, at the root of this, isn't it? If you don't want to run afoul of the law, then don't run afoul of the law. Don't do things that would make you run afoul of the law. Do right, you'll have praise from, from the same, which means you'll have praise from your government. Verse 4, For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. So we often say that God doesn't strike people dead anymore like uh, Uzzah or Nadab and Abihu. No, he doesn't. God uses the governments to punish people. He uses the governments to avenge those who have murdered and raped and, and stolen and, and all the other things that we, we think about. The civil governments are put in place to avenge those wrongdoers for the things that they have done. Verse 5. Wherefore, it was necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for your conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So, we have to pay for our government, we have to pay taxes, that's from early on. <laughs> Death and taxes, right? Those are the two things we can count on. Taxes are a fact of life. That's how our government functions. They, are, they function, they fu we fund our government through paying taxes, and we're supposed to do that. Verse 7, Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So as Paul kind of sums up what he's talking about here, if you owe taxes to the government, pay them. If you owe customs to this person over here, pay it. If you owe honor to this person over there, especially to God, then you pay that. You do what you're supposed to. You fear whom you're supposed to. Fear God. 
But fear also God's minister, who is the government, who punishes the wicked people. So you see, we're not, uh, we have freedom under the law of Christ, but we're not free just to do whatever we want. We have laws by which we must abide. And those laws are put in place through the providence of God. This is not a civics lesson, I assure you, but we must understand a little bit about, and I know you do, but I'm bringing this to your attention. As I mentioned in the, in the introduction, we live in a little bit different, a lot different government than the Roman government of the day. Yes, they had laws in place, uh, and, and they were to function under those laws, but ultimately it was Caesar. It was ultimately a monarchy. We don't live in that kind of government now. We live under a system of laws, and we elect people to go and to defend those laws and to write new laws, and so that's the system of government that we exist in. I want to call your attention to Amendment 1 of the Constitution, where it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. This is important in our country. That, that's where we get the term separation of church and state, those kind of issues, although that's not in our Constitution per se, but this is where this comes from, is that the government is not involved in our religion. In fact, it is there to protect our religion. Second part of that says, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but I want to get this established in understanding that by our government, by the laws that we have in place, we are free to establish a religion and we are free to exercise that religion. And this limits Congress from doing anything about it. So when it comes down to it, when we say that we are to be sub in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which are established by God, these are the rules in which, under which we live. Our government protects our religion. So let's hold that in our mind as we go forward and understand some things uh, as we go. So let's talk about this relationship as well. And that is, as a Christian, our relationship to God. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we see Peter and John being arrested. And they are arrested because they have begun to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same people who put to death our Lord, that is the Jewish leadership, are now trying to silence the spread of the gospel. And so Peter and John have, or Peter has healed this lame man and it has gotten back to the Jewish leadership that this miracle has taken place. And so they have Peter and John arrested and they, they bring them forward to, to stand trial for what they have done. Uh, down and come down to verse 17. It says, but in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more um, to any man in this name. So they did not want the spreading of the gospel to continue. So they said, let's warn them not to do that anymore. Verse 18, it says, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, Rather than to God, you be the judge. 
for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. So now we have uh, some, some separation beginning to, 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 to come into view. When it comes to God, we have a relationship to God, and that supersedes everything. So when Peter and John ran afoul of the Jewish leadership, which has its civil side and, 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 and its dealings as well as being the spiritual thing, it's a, it's a hybrid of the two, when they ran afoul of that and the Jewish leadership said, stop teaching and preaching the gospel, Peter and John says, we're not going to do that. God has given us a commission that we are to teach and preach. You decide for yourself if, um, you know, that's what you want to do, and if, if, if that's okay, what you think, you be the judge of that, what you decide among yourselves. We're not going to stop what we're doing. Because we have a relationship to God. A Christian has a relationship to God to do what God has told him or her to do. That supersedes everything. So that's the relationship that we are to have. So let's take some of those principles now and apply them in, in some of these biblical examples that we see. Staying here in, in the book of Acts, now over in chapter 5, um, what comes out of chapter 4 where they said, um, we're going to keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep teaching and preaching, and it says there that they had threatened them further and they let them go. Well, guess what they did? They went on teaching and preaching. And again, they ran afoul of... Uh, the government of the Jewish leadership. So they find themselves, Peter and John, along with some of the other apostles, they find themselves in prison again. In verse 17 of chapter 5. Um, and um, an angel comes and, and lets them out of prison. In verse 20 it says, Go your way, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. So the Jewish leadership had said, Stop teaching and preaching. They found themselves in prison again for doing that. And then the angel says, let them out. And he says, go teach and preach about this life, about Jesus Christ. And so they do. They go to the temple and they're teaching and preaching. And they get arrested again. And they come before the council again, down verse 27. And they brought them, they stood before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in, his, in this name, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And that's the root of, of what they're saying right here, by the way. They didn't want the blood of Jesus Christ to be on them. But that's exactly what's being teached and preached. And then look at verse 29. But Peter, with the apostles, answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. So it's very similar to what he had said earlier about we're not going to stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Now, it says in a little bit different way. He says, we must obey God rather than men. So when that line gets drawn in the sand, Peter says, we're going to be on the side of God. We're going to do our best. And it doesn't say this, of course, but you can, you can infer what's being said here. That they're going to do their best to, uh, to go by civil law, but when that runs afoul of God's law, they're going to be on the side of God. So let's talk about Paul 
and his run-in with these same folks and, and with the Ro Roman government as well. Look over in Acts chapter 25. So as I mentioned um, in the beginning, Paul runs afoul of the Jewish leadership. Um, towards the end of the book of Acts, we know, of course, he completes his missionary journey. Chapter 21, we find him arriving in Jerusalem, and there he is seized at the temple uh, by the Jewish leadership. Um, he is um, beaten. He is accused of all sorts of things. Uh, Paul gives an offense, a uh, defense, I beg your pardon, in, verse tw in chapter 22 before the Jews. In chapter 23, he goes before this same council, the Jewish leadership, to give an account for the things that he has done. He goes before several different people, um, Felix and Festus, and eventually to Agrippa. And so he's making a defense along the way for, for the things that he has done. If you look there in chapter 5, uh, I beg your pardon, 25, in verse 6, he says, And after he had spent no more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. Caesarea, by the way, would be the, 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 the seat of power for the Roman government for the, for the, the area of Judea. So he's, he's, he's working his way through the system, so to speak, not just politically, but geographically. And on the next day, he took his seat to the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And that was talking about Festus there. And after he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Verse 8, chapter 25. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. So right here we can see who Paul is giving a defense before. The Jews, the temple... That would be the, the symbolic seat of God's power. Or against Caesar, which is the Roman government. Verse 9, But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Now he'd already come from, come from Jerusalem. Festus is asking, Do you want to go back and stand trial? Verse 10, But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of the things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Verse 12, Then when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. So Paul has run afoul of the, the Jewish leadership. He knows he's not going to get a fair trial. And so he's going to utilize him being a Roman citizen. He has access to the Roman system of government, and he can ask to be tried under their laws. And so that's what he has, when he says, I appeal to Caesar, that's what he's saying. I want to be tried under the Roman laws. And Festus agrees. He, You've asked for Caesar, so Caesar you shall go. You're going to go through that process now. And we see in this that Paul is, is, is utilizing and understanding the system of government under which he lives. And he's using that to his benefit. Keep that in mind. Let's talk about this now. Jesus, Jesus had his own run-ins with authority, of course. Look in Luke chapter 20. There's lots of Examples we can use, I, 
Of course, this one, when we read it, you'll recognize why I chose this one. Because it speaks to all of this. It speaks not only just to, to the Jewish, the spiritual leadership of the day, but also the Roman leadership of the day. Uh, Luke chapter 20, beginning verse 19. And the scribes and chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour. They feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. He's talking about the parable coming out of the earlier part of chapter 20, about the vine dresser and how uh, essentially the, the, the lesson of the parable is the kingdom is going to be taken away from the Jews and is going to be given to the Gentiles. And so they realize that he's talking about them. And so they're, they're agitated at this. Verse 20. And they watched him and sent spies and pretend to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so as to deliver him up to the rule and the authority of the governor. You see what they're doing? They're trying to exploit the laws here to bring Jesus up on charges for the, in front of the Roman government. Verse 21, And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it law for us, lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So they're trying to catch him. They're trying to catch him in saying something that will get him in trouble with the Roman government, essentially. They're trying to play both sides of this. Jesus, of course, understands. Verse 23, But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in any saying in the presence of the people, and marveling at his answer, they became silent. So, all of what we've talked about so far, Jesus sums it up so beautifully, doesn't it? Give me a coin. Whose likeness is on that coin? Caesar's. Then you render to Caesar, the, you give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, you give to God the things that are God's. You see the separation? That's the simple teaching. That we give the things that, to our government that belong to them, our taxes, our customs, the things that are, belong to them, but we give to God the things that belong to God. Our reverence, our faith, our sacrifices, our duty. We give those things to God. And there's a separation, but sometimes it overlaps. But the separation is clear. So let's bring that now to, to our present day situation. Hasn't changed. I'll tell you that. Has not changed. We must obey all civil laws. We've already read that in Romans. Let's see what Peter has to say about it. Look in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. So we heard what Paul told the Romans about being in subjection to the civil government because God has placed that civil government there. Now let's hear what Peter has to say. Now remember who's speaking here. This is Peter. This is the same man who we looked at twice in, in the book of Acts who said, you, you know, you decide for yourselves. We're not going to stop teaching and preaching the things that we have seen and heard. And then when it comes down to it again, after they're arrested and, told, and they told him again to be quiet, he says, we must obey God rather than men. That was Peter speaking. This is Peter writing later on in his life. Look what he says. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 13. 
says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Did you catch that? The punishment of evildoers and the praise for those who do right. That sounds like what Paul said, right? If, you've, if you fear the government, then don't do anything wrong, and you'll have praise from the government. But if you do something wrong, you should have fear because you're going to be punished for it. Same sentiment that Peter is expressing. But isn't it interesting that Peter says to submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's a king or, or some subject of the king, like a governor, you've got to do what they say. Let's keep reading. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it for bond slaves of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So this, wait, this is the same Peter who just said, we must obey God rather than men, or not just said, but sometime, <laughs> sometime earlier he said, when he's, when he's arrested by the Jewish council, the Jewish leadership, and told to stop speaking and teaching, he says, we're not going to do that. We're going to obey God rather than men. Now, he's writing here and tells us to, or tells his, his, his readers here to, to uh, submit yourselves to all human institutions. So how do we square that? Well, we square it by understanding the principle that's laid down. When a conflicts arise, when, when uh, conflicts arise between these two governing bodies, if you will, God and civil government, then we must obey God rather than men. In our country, it's against the law to murder somebody. Guess what? In God's law, it's, it's, it's against God's law to murder somebody, too. In, in our country, it's, it's, it's against the law to steal. God's law, it's against, it's against the law to steal. You see? There's lots of parallels. And, and in fact, our system of government is based on, whether some people like it or not, a Judeo-Christian history. Our laws were set in place by men who gave reverence to God and set up our laws accordingly. Now, down through the years, as is what happens when men start to monkey around with things, we've kind of drifted from that, haven't we? We now have laws in place that we as Christians don't agree with. And so when it comes down to it, when there's a conflict between um, God's law and man's law, as a Christian, we have to stand for God's law. And whatever consequences that brings, so be it. We cannot stop teaching and preaching that which we have seen and heard, is what Peter said. We, shall, we will obey God rather than men. Now, like Paul, we can appeal to Caesar. We have things within our laws that allow us to be able to, to approach our government when we are wronged by them and, and to do something about it. Again, in the First Amendment, down there at the very end of the First Amendment, it says that we have the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That means when, when we feel like we've been wronged by the government, it's within our rights to go and say, hey, government, you've wronged me. Just like Paul had that right. Paul had the right to, to utilize the laws, of the, the, the Roman laws, to his benefit, to hopefully get a fair trial. We have the ability 
to go to our government and say, uh, you've wronged me, and I want to be made whole because of that. I want, I want to be heard. So we have that within our own laws. We have that. We can appeal to Caesar. Like Paul, we can utilize the laws to our favor as much as we can. Now, we might be told no, and then we, we'll have to, to abide by that. Our country, again, not a civics class, but f for understanding purposes, our country was to be led by citizen legislators. What our founding fathers envisioned were men being elected to office, going to office to serve for a few years, and then coming back home to their farm. That was the way our government was, was seen. And we've drifted away from that as well. We don't have citizen legislators anymore. We have career politicians. And as such, our system of government has drifted from what its original intent was. But we still have the laws in place that allow us to influence our representatives. We have the, 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 the power and the right to lobby our representatives for things that we want. It's perfectly fine. That's the way our government is set up. That's the way we're functioning properly under our government if we do that. So we can make a stand for the things that we believe in. We can make a stand against abortion. We can make a stand against homosexuality being institutionalized in our government. We can make a stand about stealing from one group of people and giving to another group of people. And when, when that runs afoul of our own responsibilities to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we can make a stand for those things. It's perfectly within our rights to do so. And it's perfectly within our purview as a citizen of, of this country to do that. So when the government might say that, and we live in these times, and not necessarily here, but in other parts of, of the country, the government is telling churches they cannot worship. And so when we think about that, we say, well, okay, the government said that, and so we have to submit ourselves to all human institutions, as Peter and Paul both said, so we have to shut down the church. Well. There's some levels of protection that we have to understand that are in place. And first of all, we have to understand that our religion is first protected by God. We have passages like Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 37. It says, In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, another way for saying governments, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our first line of defense when it comes to this is our God. He protects us. Paul says these things aren't going to separate us from God, principalities or powers, angels, Nothing's going to separate us from, from God. The only way we are separated from God is if we choose to be. We have that decision within ourselves. Externally, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So our religion is first protected by our God. And secondly, our religion is protected by our elders. 
Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul is, is, is charging the, the Ephesian elders there as he's, as he's concluding his, his third missionary journey. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the, uh, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You've got to watch out for them. You've got to help protect their religion. You've got to keep them safe. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock. Those are the ones that come from without. The wolves come from without. But guess what comes from within? From among, you, among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul is telling the Ephesians elders there that you've got to protect the flock from, the, from without and within. Those who want to come from without and, and tell the church or, or to influence or to regulate something against the church or to try to uh, persecute the church, you've got to be on guard against them. Those are the wolves. you also got to be on guard from the ones that come up from among us, the false teachers that come up from among us. So there's two lines of defense. In our country, we have a third line of defense, and that is our own government. As we've mentioned already a couple of times, the, the, the First Amendment to our Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Our own government protects us from our own government. The Bill of Rights were put in place to limit the power of government, not to grant upon us some, some special rights that are, that are out there, but the, the Bill of Rights is there to limit government. And it says there that, that government cannot stop us from practicing our religion. So while we, it seems strange for us to say this, our own government protects us from our government when it comes to our religion. Ultimately, ultimately, we are responsible for our own selves. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now that, now that I'm away, yeah, it's one thing to obey while I'm there, but now I'm away, in either case, what do you have to do? You've got to work out your own salvation. You're responsible for your salvation. Devin is responsible for his salvation. Hank is responsible for his salvation. Shirley is responsible for her salvation. And on and on and on. Because in, the, in, in that day of judgment, I have to stand. Kevin is responsible for his salvation. I have to stand before my God and to give an account for the things that I have done. So when all this has been said, I have all these protections. God is protecting me. My elders are protecting me. The government that I am so blessed to, to live in is protecting me. But in the end, I've got to be responsible for myself. I've got to do what's right. I've got to do what it, what it is that will not run me afoul of the civil government. If I murder someone, I should be expected to be punished by not only God, but by the civil government as well. But I am the one that it comes down to. I have to make a stand. I have to do what's right. 
I want to leave you with this from Ephesians 6. Travis read for us there, verse 12, but I want to read verses 10 through 12. Paul again writing, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Boy, does that not ring true right now, doesn't it? You think the devil is not scheming to divide brethren against themselves? You think the devil is, is pleased or is unhappy when brethren turn on one another? The, the devil is crafty. And he uses and he exploits these kind, of, these kind of opportunities to turn people away from God, to turn men against one another. Very dangerous times. So we need to be very, very careful. We need to have a clear understanding of what it is that God has said about the separation of these things, about Caesar, about God. He says there in verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In all this, this, this is not our battlefield. The, the, the earth, the world, is not our battlefield. We're not doing battle here. We're doing battle in the heavenly places, as he mentions down there at the, at the end. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but what? But it's against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. That's our battlefield. Our battlefield is in the spiritual realm. We're still inhabiting these bodies, so we're, we're stuck in the physical for a while, but we won't always be. But while we're here, while we're in the physical bodies, our spirit is dwelling in that physical body, and the, and, and the battle that we are, are, are waging is not against one another. It's not against our own government. It's not against uh, people we randomly know or friends and family. That's not our battlefield. Our battlefield is in the heavenly places. Our battle, that means what we have to do is stand up for God, to stand up for what's right, to, to, to make a stand for the things that are righteous and good and, and approved or disapproved by God. And we can make that stand in the public arena. While we, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, our struggle is still spiritual. So when things come along like, like, like abortion and, and homosexuality and those things are trying to be enshrined in our own laws in this country, it's, it's perfectly fine for us to make a stand against that. Because we're standing for God. We're standing for what's right. We're making a stand for putting God in control uh, or, or, or let me rephrase that, letting God be in control. Because he is. It's perfectly fine for us to make that stand. So when the line gets drawn in the sand, we need to make sure that we're on the right side. We must obey God rather than men. When it comes down to it, there are very few things, fortunately, in our country that run afoul of God's laws. Now, that list keeps growing and growing. But we, we can uh, be in subjection to our, our government for 
a, a high percentage of the things that are out there. But we've got to be 100% in subjection to God. We don't have any choice. We can't compromise our values or, or our obedience or, or the things that we follow, the ordinances that we follow. We have no room for compromise there. If the government of Florida or Manatee County or Bradenton comes to us and says, you can no longer worship as the Cortez Church of Christ, what should our reaction be? We'll obey God rather than men. You can come and, and shut us down and lock the door and padlock it or whatever else, but we'll find another place to meet. We'll still be meeting as the Cortez Church of Christ. And if you come and try to shut that meeting down, then we'll go over here. And if we get arrested, I hope we don't. I don't want to. But if I'm arrested because I am worshiping on the first day of the week, so be it. I'll be there. I hope somebody will bail me out. But I'll be there. We've got to make a stand for God. We've got to stand for His laws and for what He has told us to do. We talked about in our Bible class this morning. John wrote his letters in the book of Revelation at the very end of the first century. We don't have any other writings from God to supersede those writings. So when we're told to obey and submit to every human institution, we do that. But if we see where Peter says, we shall obey God rather than men, we got to do that too. I hope that this lesson has shed a little bit of light on the tricky subject sometimes. But really it comes down to the, the simplicity of our Lord's teaching, doesn't it? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. Take that with you as you leave here.